Hello and welcome to the Double Pivot, the world's most agreeable soccer analytics podcast. I am Michael Cayley. We are here for you to talk about the World Cup. We have been already talking about the World Cup a little bit on some subscriber episodes, which you can get at patreon.com slash double pivot. But we're just going to be continuing the same stuff we've been doing over there, which is taking a look at the World Cup team by team, looking at a lot of the favorites, talking about what to expect from them. I think as we get into the World Cup, we're going to be learning more about some of the underdogs. At this point, what we really have a much better handle on and where we think we can give you more as podcasters is by getting into the guts of some of the some of the favorites in this tournament. So we're starting with uh, everyone's favorite team, England. And we're starting with my favorite team in some bizarre, unhealthy way, Spain. I'm joined by Mike Goodman. And uh, yeah, how's it going here? Uh, all right. The music heard on the way in was The Wailers. Please download, subscribe, make as happy as podcasters at patreon.com slash double pivot. And stick around till the end of the show where we will be talking about some more stuff you can get at patreon.com slash double pivot. So I, as I may have mentioned a few times, now write a newsletter over at cbs.com slash soccer where I talk about, it's a daily newsletter for the World Cup. And in today's edition, this is Friday, November 18th, I talked myself into picking England to win the World Cup. And I feel fairly silly about this whole thing. And and not really because of anything you see peculiarly in their talent. That's right. I mean, I think that they're the fourth or fifth most talented team in the World Cup. And I don't think it takes a lot for the fourth or fifth most talented team in a World Cup to win a World Cup. But I think the bracketology of this World Cup is uniquely interesting in a couple of ways. Uh, we, we briefly mentioned on one of the subscriber side pods how they did the pots differently this year, which sort of messed a little bit with the distribution of teams and created like fairer pots and easier draws for the best teams. Um, but one effect of that is that it is quite hard to see either Brazil or Argentina not winning their group. And that immediately puts them on the same side of the bracket. All right, so, okay, now the question is, for everybody else, you would expect there to be some sort of a balance, right? That, like, there would be other very good teams who will obviously not end up on that side of the bracket. And, like... France is drawn with Denmark, which I think is really tricky. And Germany and Spain are in the same group, but it's the winner of that group that ends up on the same side as as Brazil and Argentina. So you could quite easily see a scenario in which France loses, you know, finishes in second in the group to Denmark, Spain wins their group, and all of a sudden, the top four teams by the odds to win the World Cup are on one side of the bracket and like Germany and England are on the other side and I think England is better than Germany. And, you know, maybe France maybe France wins their group and then things are a little evener, right? Then it's Brazil and Argentina on one side and France, England, Germany, France, England, Spain on the other. And, and that's a little more balanced, but still you like the, I think, the side without Brazil and Argentina just reads as easier than 
decide with Brazil and Argentina. And you get to this place where, like, I don't really think you can pick anybody other than Brazil or Argentina to win the tournament unless you're confident they're not going to be on that side of the bracket. Because, like, then the odds are that for them, like, Brazil or Argentina, it's hard to pick because they'll have to beat Brazil or Argentina on the way to the final. But, like, anybody else on that side of the bracket will have to more than likely beat Brazil and Argentina and then win a final. And, like, I guess if you really believe in France, you could do that, right? If you just think France is very good this time around and they're not really going to be challenged by Denmark in the group, then they get out of the group and they're the best team on the other side of the bracket and they don't, you know, and that makes sense. But if, like me, you don't really believe in France, like, or conversely, you kind of believe in Denmark, then... Like, I just sort of feel like this path opens up for England, and then, like, yeah, you get to the final and you're the underdog in the final. But, like, that's one game. And you get to the final enough to justify the pick for me. So that's how I ended up with England. Even though, like, I don't think anything particularly out of line, there's anything particularly out of line special about that team that I see that nobody else does. <laughs> yeah. So just to sort of go over these, the, to, to put everyone on the same page with these groups, the basic way it works is you sort of can skip groups for who's going to be on the same side of the bracket. So A, C, E, and G, their first place are on one side of the bracket and B, D, F, and H, their first place are on the other side of the bracket. And the thing is that the way that that ends up working out is that Brazil is in G and Argentina is in C. And and then E, as you said, is is either Spain or Germany coming out of that group. And A is your cutter group. So right. Netherlands. the Netherlands, Netherlands, I guess. Right. And so this, this creates a situation where you're getting one of the big European teams and both of the big South American teams very likely on the same side of the bracket. And, and Netherlands, who are like, you know, in that, certainly in that quarterfinals group. And so then who ends up on the other side? So what I hear Mike saying is that if the USA can win that game the day after Thanksgiving, suddenly the bracket opens up for, uh, you know, America World Cup. I mean, listen, to be, I mean, to be honest, even if they don't, like, even if they come out of that group in second place and they manage to get out of the group, facing the Netherlands in the round of 16 is, like, one of the better draws you can get if you're the USA, I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the only better draw you get is facing whoever is second place in that group. I mean, we expect Netherlands to win the group, and then Senegal was, like, an exciting second-place-type team, potentially, but then Sadio Mane goes down. And without Mane, Senegal is not an exciting second-place team. Senegal is not necessarily a team that moves through at all. And, like, I mean, I've been writing a lot of picks recently for various CBS publication parts, uh, whether that's, like, the... The, the 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 gambling side subscription service whether that's the newsletter whether that's all the picks like all the picks pieces that we do for publication like as we've been going before the tournament i have both been reading and writing a lot of picks and the fact is like i'm not at all convinced that senegal advance ahead of ecuador here 
Like, without Mane, I, like, I think Ecuador is a very reasonable pick to come out in second place in Group A. And if you're, like, in the round of 16, facing Ecuador is, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a gift. <laughs> Which is nothing, no knock on Ecuador. I think Ecuador's a pretty good team. But, but, you know, when you're talking about, like, the last 16 in the world... I, I, Ecuador would probably be the, the worst team, maybe like Canada, if they can pull it off. Like the Belgium group, it potentially, you know, with Morocco or Canada or somebody would also be sort of of that level, I suppose. I mean, I mean, they, they only play a few games, so some weird teams are going to go through, and that's just the nature of the beast. But I do think that it is, the, the Sadio Mane injury is sad, you know, for Sadio Mane, for, for Senegal. It's also sad for podcasters who had planned to try to preview Senegal a little bit because <laughs> talent-wise, they were one of the only teams in that like third tier of teams where you were like, all of this talent really could work. But like without their superstar forward, it's just not the same kind of team. You know, stuff can happen. We'll, we'll be following it to the World Cup, you know, Teams can find something over a few games that 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 is hard to see in the numbers coming in or in the talent coming in. But right now, you know, Senegal are a good team that no longer has a superstar center forward. All right, you want to talk about Spain now? I've I've made my England pitch, which is basically like the black bracket opens up for them. You want to talk about Spain? Well, how about we just talk about the the players on England for for a minute? Do I have uh... to? Like, I made this pick. I really don't want to do this now. No, but they still have a whole bunch of really good forwards who are gonna. I, I mean, I picked. I also picked Jude Bellingham to be like the young player of the tournament. Like, I I, I think that that quietly he is like becoming incredibly good. And we talked a bunch on the subscription side about Chouameni and like maybe if like I, I sort of made the argument that if France goes deep, it's possible we have Chouameni doing this sort of maturing act in front of our eyes. And like I'm sort of there with Bellingham too, where I th- I think Bellingham. There was a period of time where it was really concerning about who was going to play center center mid for England amidst, like, you know, Jordan Henderson's not really healthy, and uh, Calvin Phillips, like, messed up his shoulder. Actually, I've lost track of which injury it is for Calvin Phillips at this point. There have been so many. Um, But I think that, like, Jude Bellingham has just been the answer, and just is the answer alongside Declan Rice, and it's fine. Yeah, I'm really interested. It it seems pretty likely it's going to be a back three for England which I think makes a fair amount of sense when you have both Rice and Bellingham. Like, you don't have either guy who is really built to stay there. And it's nice to have a back three when you have two central midfielders on pivot who like to run forward with the ball at their feet or not with the ball at their feet and who are very good at it. There's a lot of things Jude Bellingham could develop into from this point in his career. Right now, he's kind of a midfielder who does all of the things. He can distribute from deep. He, play, he he can defend in transition or 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 from a more from a deeper position. He likes to get forward. He gets into the penalty area and gets a good number of shots. On top of that, I think it is likely that the version of Jude Bellingham that plays in a England system is a version of Jude Bellingham that is a lot more conservative. I also kind of believe that the version of Jude Bellingham that we're going to see in the best teams in the world over the next several years, is also a Jude Bellingham that is more conservative. It's possible. He has a range of passing. I don't think he needs to be a guy who maybe has some disruptive effects on your midfield balance in order to be a star midfielder. I mean, I think the question for Jude Bellingham's career is whether he's a guy who can be 
physically disruptive all over the field without having destabilizing effects on your midfield. I mean, the best guys in the world in that mold were Yaya Torre and Arturo Vidal at the sort of the heights of their powers. And I do not think it is out of the realm of possibility that that's where Jude Bellingham is, is headed. It may not be. There are lots of really, really, really good players he could turn into that aren't that. But I do think that that's like that that outcome is still in play for the course of his career. Yeah. The other player that I think of a little bit is Luka Modric. Yes. Who obviously Modric doesn't look like him, but Modric at a young age was sort of an 810-ish type. And what stood out always was how good his creative passing was and that he did more defensive work than you expect for a guy with that kind of creative creative passing and his positioning was good. And what made Modric into a superstar was dropping back into an eight and even sometimes into a six role. And now for, for Real Madrid, as he's gotten older, he's actually pushing more toward the penalty area again. Like it's, it's a sort of fun uh, little arc you know, uh, up and down and up arc his career has taken. But that's kind of the model I think of when I think of like what the best thing that Jude Bellingham could be would be, where he develops into more of a standard central midfielder who can be dangerous in attack without getting forward as much. I would just say that like Luka Modric, but bigger, is not really that different from Shaya Torre in a lot of ways. It's less of a goal <laughs> yeah, scorer, yeah. but like, you know... Yaya Torre, because he was physically imposing, it wasn't surprising when he was playing deeper at the six that he could be a defensive presence. Whereas what happened with Luka Modric is because he's smaller, it was in fact quite surprising that he was uh, competent to good at it, at sort of in his younger, at the peak of his power days. I think it's just interesting to watch what Bellingham will become. Um, but I just think that sort of the fact that he's a very easy fit into this England team solves a bunch of problems. And then they're just going to struggle ball the crap out of it and score from set pieces and do all the things that they do. And I think there's still, like, even with the defensive personnel issues, they're still just a very good defensive team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is a team that has been playing a particular system for a long time and shown a quite a bit of, you know, defensive tactical ability within that system. They have been well drilled to do this thing. And they have enough players who are good at passing to sort of hold the ball and struggle ball. And then when they don't have the ball, they are relatively unlikely to get done in transition. The problem is, with all of these struggle ball teams, when you're creating low event games, the just it just creates more risk of randomness getting you. But they're good at this. It, I, I think it, I, I am not sure that this England team is ideally set up to be this, but this is a good thing for them to be within the context of international football. Yeah, and, think, you know, they could just have a good Harry Kane tournament. They haven't right. had a good Harry Kane tournament in ever. That could just happen. Yeah, it's been somewhat obscured by the fact that he's taken and scored a bunch of penalties. But yeah, they have not just had a game, like a tournament where Harry Kane scores three goals kind of by himself from open field play, and and that tilts two games in their favor. That 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 is the easy way to to pitch England going deep is just you know they get like Harry Kane's regular league production out of Harry Kane. Yep. There you go. Okay. So Spain, Spain, Spain or I was so heartened to see that the bookies have Spain right in the middle of the European group. They're, they don't see our distinction, really, between England, Spain, France, Germany. Germany being a little bit low is what they see. 
And this accords with all of Spain's underlying numbers in every tournament under Luis Enrique. So the bookies are still right there with me that Spain, the disappointing Spain, Spain, the naive Spain, Spain, the Alvaro Morata is a problem Spain, are just a good team that could win the World Cup. They're not the most likely to win the World Cup, but they they have a way of playing that creates a good number of chances. We think that probably, most of the time, they'll probably score a fair number of those chances. We still believe that. And Luis Enrique, the one man in the world who believes in Alvaro Morata even more than I do, is going to start Alvaro Morata up top, and maybe this time they're going to score a bunch of goals. Look, I think Spain are a really good team, and I think that Spain are an interesting World Cup team in the current era because they most decidedly do not do struggle ball. They do the opposite. They have an incredibly talented midfield. They have a possession-heavy group of attackers. And they kind of have a soft underbelly. The center backs are likely to be Imeric Laporte and either Eric Garcia or Pau Torres, with apparently Donny Carvajal and Jordi Elba on the wing. So you've got like, you know, your old fullbacks, but who still remain, you know, that's a that's a good and balanced pair ultimately, and, and they do a lot of possession stuff, and you are very concerned about one of those center backs. Whether it's Torres or Eric Garcia, you are simply not dealing with someone who is a plus at defending. Both of them are very good at having the ball and moving the ball, and Spain are optimized for having the ball and moving the ball. But Spain are sometimes not going to have the ball, and they are not built to really protect that space where they have a problem. So I think one thing that can happen in international competitions is you can identify a mismatch. And because it's so short in terms of time frame, so like tiny sample size, you can talk yourself into that mismatch being a bigger deal than it is when you're looking at an underdog versus a favorite. So I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying that I think Spain will beat Japan. However... Japan is going to kick the crap out of Spain. This Japan side is big and physical, and they want to get into you. This is not, like, people just don't really realize this because racism. But, like, this Japan team is, like, they are, like, CONCACAF-y and snide and really good at it. Like, better than a CONCACAF team is at it. Like, they, they can both press... And defend compact and give you problems. Like, this is a good Japan team. Now, Spain are just more talented. Like, significantly so. But it is not hard to see how this Japan team will cause Spain, and Germany for that matter, significant problems given the way they play. And I'm really kind of... I I think if you do not understand Japan to be that, this group doesn't seem interesting. But I think if you understand Japan to play in that style, it is kind of a fascinating group in terms of not necessarily will they beat Spain or Germany, although I think that there's a decent chance that they could like nip second place in this group, depending on how things bounce. But more, watching how Spain and Germany deal with Japan and how easy or hard a time they have dealing with it as kind of a a projection of how good are these teams possibly overall in this tournament. Because I really think Japan's a good team, and I really think that they're a good team in a way that's 
pretty well crafted to give Spain and Germany problems. Yeah, the, the, this J- Japanese generation of talent is just very, very different from the previous generations of talent where they were really, it was, it was some very technical and very skilled forwards, Kagawa, Kaisuke Honda, that were the focus of the team and they tried to defend and then pass out. And now this Japanese team, their their talent is much more like defenders at the back and a big guy up front. And they are going to play and an Kubo on the ugly, wing. ugly version of, exactly, and one guy running on the wing. And they are going to play an ugly, ugly version of football to hopefully get that, that guy running a couple of times and a big guy scoring once or twice. Like that, it is not, like... There, it, the, the interesting thing with Japan to me is that it is both, if you did watch those previous years of Japan, you would not be expecting this team, and the way that they play also really disrupts a lot of racist assumptions about what East Asian football is. Because these guys are big and mean. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Um, anyway, so I, 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 I think that group is going to be more fun and interesting than people expect. Um, but yeah, I like. I mean, but I like the reason I preface that all is that I do think Spain are good. I'm less sold on Germany a little bit, but like I do think Spain are good, and I think Spain will handle that. Um, but it is just interesting that like in an age of struggle ball, Spain want to be pretty, and they're going to have to be very good at being pretty to make a run at this tournament. And Japan's going to test that. Yeah, we we really cannot overstate. Spain are leaning into being Spain more this time around. Yeah. Uh, by all, by the report is that Luis Enrique is planning on starting the entire Barcelona three in midfield. So Busquets as your one defensive presence and Gavi and Pedri moving the ball. They are really going all in, not merely on like, you know, Tiki Taka holding the ball. They are going in on, they're going to get the ball and they're going to quickly move the ball forward with a lot of interchanging and possession and, and positional play. And they want to get the ball forward to the penalty area, get a bunch of shots. We have no idea which of their wings are going to start, but they've got a bunch of good wings, whoever they end up going with. You know, those are good players, Fatih, Sarabia. Omo, um, Omo yep. and uh, Ferran Torres. Uh all guys who are good at getting shots, basically, in possession, but none of them are going to, like, speed behind a back line or, like, conduct play on a counter. Like, this is very, we use the midfielders to get the ball up the field. We want lots of people in and around the box interchanging to create shots, which is, like, not what you usually see in international soccer. Yeah, it, it, it is a lot like what Xavi's Barcelona is. Yeah, yeah. Which, like... The entire Barcelona midfield, Ansu Fati, Ferran Torres, okay, like, Jordi Alba, <laughs> like, I mean, I think that what you have here is it's a lot what Barcelona is, just like the old Spain teams were a lot like what Barcelona was, like, supplemented by Real Madrid, except those old Barcelona teams were the best in the world, and the current Barcelona teams are good teams. Yeah, and, and the current Barcelona team has Lewandowski and Dembele. There is that. And so, like, this is going to be... Now, the thing is that obviously if this team had Lewandowski and Dembele, we'd be talking about them as, like, favorites in the tournament. Right. It is. 
you know, the reason that they are, you know, somewhere in the range of fifth is because of that relatively limited talent. Most of these teams have relatively limited talent, and they have, like the struggle ball teams, one way that they play, which has problems. And people, we sort of, I think that I want to talk about those as like analogous things. Right. Playing struggle ball is a way of limiting the event in a game which creates a risk of randomness. On the other hand, the way that Spain play is going to increase the events in the game. But at the same time, that is going to, because Spain do not have the kind of defensive talent that England has, that is going to create more risks for them because they are creating a risk of, of being counterattacked, creating a risk of, of, of defending in transition that their team is really not built to do. And so it, both of, both of these te- teams are, both are really sort of taking something, putting something on the table and taking something off the table in analogous ways. And it'll be, you know, which one works better than the other to some degree is just always a function of randomness in tournaments like this. But, like, right now, coming in, eh, even, we'll see where they go. (laughs) I do think it's, like, one thing that I think is interesting to just sort of wrap up here is, like, I think it's pretty clear that, like, Spain's talent dictates they play this way. And a number of the struggle ball teams' talent dictate that they play that way. And then over on the subscription side, we talked about Portugal, who are playing a struggle ball way, but who have talent that dictate they should probably be playing a different way. But it's not clear to me that like Spain bucking the struggle ball era here is a result of a lot of teams making wrong choices to play struggle ball, as opposed to just sort of like how the talent distribution has sort of played out. I mean, I guess, like, France is on the fence. You could probably play in a number of different ways. England probably, too. But it's just, like, it's not immediately clear that either, like, the the teams like that are making the wrong choice when they decide to to adopt struggle ball. Whereas it is with Portugal and it would be with Spain. Yeah. Playing struggle ball with Pau Torres and Eric Garcia is more ridiculous than this. At least when you play this way, you are getting the positives out of their game. I mean, like, there might be a world where there were other Spanish center backs that you could, like, go recruit who were, like, just kind of giant thugs, but I don't know. Yeah, and, and again, we should also note here, well, I think we'll talk about Germany in, in an upcoming pod, but in this group, again, winning this group means you probably get Brazil, and then you get by them, you probably get Argentina. Probably is, is doing a lot of work in the sec- in that second sentence, but still, like, those are the risks that you are running. This is definitely a group where coming in, the prior is that second is better. The, the problem with that logic, as always, is that randomness happens too often in the World Cup, and if you come third, that is a lot worse than first or second. So, like, these teams these teams cannot be going out there gunning for second, but there is a real possibility at the very end of this group, if it does come down to it, there will be a case for being second in this group. I think there's a, like, I think there's a real big case for being second in this group, is just that, uh, um... It's so hard to pinpoint second. Like, like if you told me, like, going into match day three, you know, either Spain or Germany could do X, Y, Z to ensure second place, I would say 100% you should do that. But, like, I just don't know that we're going to be there. And it's so seldom that you are there. 
Yeah. Unless Brazil gets footballed in one of their games and ends up second in their group. Like, I mean, it could, it could happen, sure. I, I, would be very, I would be pretty surprised if Argentina and, and Brazil don't win their groups. Um, but, like, to wrap this up by, like, circling back to England, if you could tell me that Spain finished second, I would pick that. Right? Like, that bo- bottom line here is if you told me that Spain finished second in their group, I would pick them to, to, to win the World Cup. Um, which is, I, I understand, sort of weird, but that's like kind of how you end up. So uh, thank you for listening. As we said, for subscribers at patreon.com slash double pivot, we've covered a number of these teams, including our extensive thoughts on the Portuguese national team and Fernando Santos. And we will also be debuting today a new feature for those subscribers at patreon.com slash double pivot, the double pivot discord. If you are a subscriber, you can look for an invitation coming out today. We are looking forward to seeing you there and we have something to plug as well. That's right. Uh, because we are going into this brave new world. That's not particularly new or particularly brave. If you're not old like us, um, we will be trying to use this in some, ways to encourage people that they might want to hang out on our discord so we are sunday night gonna do a world cup chat voice chat me and kaylee will talk about some stuff we'll take some questions we will do our u.s men's national team preview as part of that chat and uh we hope you all sign up to the discord come hang out listen to us talk in real time and you know in the event that Twitter ceases to exist one of these days, it is just probably where you'll be able to find us most easily. And uh, I, we know a bunch of you. We talk to you all the time on Twitter. So, like, we want to make sure that we have something in place where y'all can find us in, in relatively the same manner as Twitter. Um, and, like, we talk about it a lot when we do our mailbag episodes, how much we really like and appreciate all of you listeners and how, like... We are constantly blown away by the questions you ask us and the takes you have. And we want to make sure that that continues robust to Twitter in some way, shape, or form. So that's going to be the Double Pivot Discord. Um, I'm sure we will figure it out as we go. <laughs> and, and, and like the various ways that we want to do it and use it and, and how it will work for us and how it will work for all of you. Um, but for starters, we're going to do Sunday night, uh, and we will put up a specific time, uh, that we will do our, uh, men's national team preview and general world world cup talk. Did I miss anything? That's, that's what we will be doing on the discord. So, uh, yeah, look forward, look, look for those emails coming. If you, if you don't see one, uh, let us know. We'll certainly like post on the double pivot account and all those sorts of things when it is happening. And I'm really open to uh, various different ways that this can develop into more of a community. Uh, you know, we think you're great. Uh, we, we think that, like, by by subscribing to our podcast, that just makes you, you know, a superior person. And I, I, I think I think everyone would agree with that. And the sort of person deserves a lovely community to talk about soccer and stats and stuff in. And so, uh, yeah, double pivot Discord. We'll see how it goes. And uh, thanks for listening. And uh, cheers, y'all. Cheers, y'all.